Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I'm Andrew Poretz. Uh, right now we're waiting for my guest to come on the show. Here on Coach's Corner I discuss all aspects of life coaching, business coaching, and I speak with all kinds of coaches to discuss coaching and business. We'll also take your questions and you might have the opportunity for live coaching right on the show. I'm Andrew Poretz from Ingenuity Coaching and I help people transitioning from corporate America to entrepreneurship. My mission is to inspire and challenge you to dream big dreams, and with my coaching, help you to manifest those dreams into reality. If you're listening live and you want to call in with a question, the phone number is 646-929-2893. We also have a chat room right on the show page, so feel free to join in. At this time, we're still waiting for my uh, guest to come on. Let me see if she's arrived. Uh, Here we go. Okay, uh, Nava, you there? Yes. Okay, hi. now I'm going to properly introduce you. Great. Great. So Nava Piaka is somebody I met, uh, Nava, in early 2008 at Life Directions, which is a Peak Potentials course where we were both volunteer coaches. And I recently discovered that Nava has written a book and is also uh, suffering uh, a, a, a battle with cancer. Uh, she, her book is called No Goodbyes, a father-daughter memoir of love, war, and resurrection. And Nava is literally dying to tell her story. Afflicted with terminal cancer, confined to her bed, she has spent the last few months pushing past her mounting pain and fatigue to get the important Holocaust testimony of her father published and out to market. Already known internationally for her tour-de-force performances of her one-woman show, Better Don't Talk About Her Mother, Hayella Rosenthal, star of the Vilna Ghetto. Nava completes her mission of honoring both of her Holocaust survivor parents' pasts with the publication of No Goodbyes. So, hello, Nava. Hi, hello. So, how, how are you feeling right now? Well, actually, I'm on a lot of pain medication, I'm experiencing a lot of pain, and uh, uh, so I'm very nicely drugged with morphine and going to get another shot as soon as we come off the air. 
Okay, I um, I really appreciate this that you're able to your your uh, your show business must go on kind of uh, oh, attitude here. That's for sure. Yeah, and people are astounded. They my my sister says I don't know how you do this. She says this is amazing living with Nava. I said well no, this is like dying with Nava even. Oh man! I always you know that the show must go on, the story must be told, and yes. Whatever avenue I, I have to get it out there, literally with my last dying breath, I will. I'll get the story out. Well, I, and I have certainly. People, you know, yes. people buy the book and and learn. Uh, really, um, I'll tell you a little bit about what the book is. It's um, a testament to the endurance of love and the art of survival. You know, my father was a Holocaust survivor, and I was very interested in in what had him, what characteristics, um, you know, personality traits or, or skills did he have that had him be able to survive. Everybody talks about luck. A lot of survivors talk about luck, but um, I was interested if there was something more. So in the book, I, I, I literally look and see from his stories about the art of survival. Uh, we also take a look at the influence of family because... I got stories from my dad that I didn't even know about the family that I never knew because they were all killed in the Holocaust. Uh, his mother would have been my grandmother, uh, father, all of those people I never knew. And, of course, the book is ultimately about the lasting impact and legacy of war, which nobody can escape from. And this is not just uh, my point, really. I hope that people get that, is the Holocaust was not just a Jewish legacy. It was something that was particular to our race and um, and, and group. But mm-hmm. the Holocaust was a, a very critical historical uh, event that affected a lot of us. Um, Germany, in particular today, is still very affected by the Holocaust. So, um, so in... In No Goodbyes, which is ironic, right, because I came up with this title a year ago before I got diagnosed with my cancer, It was I was looking at what to call this book, and I saw the history of my family. The tradition was that nobody really had a chance to say goodbye. Even, even I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to my mother, because when I was in America living here, um, giving birth to my first child, she had already died. I was pregnant with Chantal, my first child, and um, didn't know that my mother was sick. She didn't want the family to tell me she was in South Africa performing and um, didn't want me to know that she was sick because I guess so, some kind of superstition. You know? mm. <laughs> There's all those superstitions. That's what I figured it out to be, that God forbid something should happen to the baby, to the child. So she was a very... Wonderful Yiddish mother, but very much a typical Yiddish Yiddish mother, and she was starring uh, serendipitously in Fiddler on the Roof, and then three weeks later she died. You know, wow. She was literally she was on stage till the bitter end, but she wouldn't let them tell me. So um, you know, I just uh, that's one area that I didn't get to say goodbye. My, her, she didn't get to say goodbye with her family because people were taken away without warning. Uh, my father didn't get to say goodbye to his mother. So it was a, a whole tradition of 
no goodbyes, as I called it. And how ironic that here I am now, and I'm breaking that tradition of saying no goodbyes, because it just so happens that in writing this book, the coincidence of time and, and space and physicality is that I am dying, and I'm saying my goodbyes. Literally, my kids are coming in this weekend, and uh, one's from Virginia, one's staying out in L.A., he's coming out. And um, it's going to be that kind of a goodbye weekend, you know, saying goodbyes, wishing them well, and hopefully saying everything that I, I've been wanting to say or, or needing to say. And I think also the, the moral of the story is to tell your stories. Tell your stories. People need to be known. Through sharing our lives, we understand more about other people and how rich our lives are. You know, celebrate your life, spread the joy and the and the love. That's really what's most important, as I'm finding out yes. in this in this journey of mine, where I've been really confined to my bed because of all the difficulties that I've had concurrent with the cancer, like kidney failure and lymphedema. All things as a Jewish uh, uh, Yiddish mother, my mother would say, you shouldn't know about such things. Better don't talk, uh-huh. <laughs> which is the title of my play, Better Don't Talk. Better Don't Talk. Better Don't Talk. So you, you're, you had a show that was about your mother. The book is about your father. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I started with the book. I started uh, more than a decade ago asking him his stories because they had never told me the details of their lives. I knew they were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. The details I did not know. And I was not so much interested in the horror and the gory, uh, but I was interested more in how did they retain their humanity? How did they keep holding on to the best of their humanity and their positiveness uh, than, uh, than many other people who held on to guilt and blame and shame and, and upset and um, were very bitter. And I think my, my father in particular was very enlightened, had a very enlightened attitude. And his attitude, he raised me to, by saying, forgive, but don't forget. And the two are different. Yes. Uh, not as if, he, I understood what he meant. It's not like if you forgive, then it exonerates the crime. No, it's not that. It's just that you put things in the past People did what they did. They didn't know any better. Or if they did, then more's the pity to them and their family and their cruel way of being indoctrinated. Um, but you, 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 you forgive that, but you don't forget. You remind people. You tell, you tell the story. You don't let people get away with um, ignoring things. So if there's right now a current situation where you see something's wrong, you don't walk away from it. You actually stand up and you say something about it. And that's, I think, the gift that we need to be left with, is that you've got to speak out. If there's something uh, that goes against the grain, that goes against the best of humanity. So I chose to wrote, write the story about my father, and I took down all of these wonderful stories and found out about my family, and he was a child of divorce. I mean, all kinds of fascinating things and uh, uh, about um, uh, hiding Begin, Menachem Begin, in the basement. Wow. <laughs> uh, being saved by a Nazi. I mean, you know, all incredible stories of his ingenuity and pragmatism and, and, and uh, 
just his ability, as I summarized it, I realized, you know, he, my father, had this extraordinary ability to find the friend beneath the foe, which again is about, you know, letting it go, realizing that what's important is finding the com- finding that we're all human, relating to that, and then, um, you know, moving towards uh, communal betterhood. I don't know how else to say that, but um, looking beyond the, the the hatred and the indoctrination, but working with each other towards towards that. And the fact that he was saved by this Nazi is interesting because in the story you see the setup of how he refused to be um, intimidated by him or refused to see him as the enemy, but just worked hard to maintain his humanity. So, what do you suppose was, how did he come to be somebody with such an attitude amongst so many people who probably did not have such an attitude? You know, it's interesting. I, number one, I think he was a he was a writer and and a philosopher, I would say. I don't think he'd call himself a philosopher, but he was very interested in the literature and the arts. And that taught him a lot about life. He was an only child. I think he, he was very... Um, open and and close relationship with his mother so there was a, when they when they got divorced he lived with his mother for a while and was uh, so was in the company of women so i'd like to say that that might have made a difference where he became much more compassionate and uh learned about the ways of the heart rather than ways of you know fighting things out um and, and making you right, I'm wrong, there's an enemy here. Hmm. Um, and also uh, that he, uh, I think he was interested in the individual. He, he did not follow the just the mindless indoctrination that was out there. Um, and what was another thing which was interesting, everything happened at such serendipitous timing. He, there was an attack on him, uh, uh, sort of an anti-Semitic attack, which he didn't understand. Of course, he was too young as a child. And then somebody from the revisionist movement, which was very strong. So you, in the book, you get also a very clear sense of, of history and the movements that were uh, in Europe at the time, the communism, the Nazism, the patriotism, the, the Bolshevik revolution, all, all these kinds of things he talks about because he had a phenomenal memory and was a great raconteur. So um, he spoke about all of these things, and I think was was interested enough in reading. And his father also was a, a doctor and a humanist, did a lot of good work for um, widows and orphans. He was the president of the, the club, I think, that went out and raised money for them. So he grew up in a very humanitarian setting. Uh, his father also married, remarried this uh, doctor, a woman who was a doctor, and together they ran a clinic for the disenfranchised and always looking towards helping um, people who didn't have as much. So I think that was already in the setting and probably in the conversation that was happening at home. And then the whole revisionism thing, (laughs) which was interesting because my father was not at all a, a very macho guy. And yet when this anti-Semitic attacker happened, um, he was saved, so-called, by this young boy 
who rushed to his rescue and chased the other boys away, the hooligans, as my father would say, those hooligans. Mm. And uh, he must have been about 10, 11, 12. And the other guy introduced him to Beitar, the revisionist program, which is very much about arming yourself. Don't be afraid, Jews. Get weapons. Learn how to defend yourself. Learn how to be like an army. You can't just be like a sheep to the slaughter. So he learned about that also at that time and then pushed me to go to uh, the Beitar movement because in South Africa the Jewish movements were very strong and very active. So um, I should mention that this book is not just about my father's stories but also my interpretation of life under this very charismatic but authoritarian and all-powerful, it seemed, man. He was somebody that you didn't ignore, you you couldn't, um, how can I say, fight against, I guess. <laughs> right. you know, his word was, I always thought he was God. You know, and I think this, this ex- exploration and journey into finding out truly what a vulnerable man he was and how lonely he was and more about his family life, I, I, I had a very different idea of him coming out of this conversation of writing the books and finding out about his life than I had growing up. So I write it from my own perspective as well. And uh, I got a call the other day from somebody in South Africa who knew my father and said to me and read the book, and he said, it's the most brilliant book I've ever read. He said he doesn't need to impress me, but he Hmm. wants to let me know that he learned so much about his relationship with his father, his relationship with uh, my father, because as I say, my father knew many people and taught them about stamps and passed on his knowledge to people, and also about his relationship with his daughters, which is what I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that would inspire people and motivate people to live life at a more conscious level. Tell me more about that. The living at life at the more conscious level. At the more conscious level. Well, it's it's really about stopping to investigate the things that you took for granted that you just incorporated into your view of life or your philosophy of life that you probably got handed down from for for ages from your parents, from mm-hmm. the school, from whatever. And then, where what's your part in bringing a new perspective to it or, or bringing new? understandings or live um yeah i think understandings of it is is the best yes what's what's your viewpoint rather than just going the old familiar route of what your parents taught you or what your older sister or brother said right <laughs> or teacher well, um, by the way nava i know you had said to me that you need to make sure you take drink water yes thank you and yes, i want to make sure yes. you do that now so thank if anybody you. is listening Nava needs to drink water. I do and drink I hear the water. dryness. So, mm-hmm. and while you do that, I'm going to. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, Nava, but you, you and I have uh, some uh, kind of past life connection in the sense that my grandparents come from the same neck of the woods. Oh boy! They're from uh, right outside Vilna, a town that was called Eshashak. Uh huh. It was one of a number of. A villages that was uh, decimated at the end of World War Two. Yes, <clears throat> and they made a, a terrible, uh, terrible Lithuania. Yeah, damage to the Jews was the highest percentage. I think ninety percent of the population. 
was destroyed. Oh, it was really other. amazing. There was a book that came out uh, some years ago called Once There Was a World. Yes. It was about this village, and they made uh, the woman who wrote the book had collected thousands of photographs over the years, and uh, some of those photographs are on permanent display at the Holocaust Museum, and it's called wow. the Tower of Life. The Tower of Life. Yeah. So all of these photographs that the woman from that village connect, uh, collected are now in the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, she started out with uh, her father insisted on on taking a package of photographs uh, when there were, I think, 27 people who did not get killed. Wow. And there were two of them. Wow. Yeah, out of 4,000 villagers. But you see, this is the importance. This is, again, what you're talking to is is what I find so important is one needs to document, one needs to, to, even if it's in a diary form or in Mm -hmm. some kind of photograph form, something one has to honor the history and the memory, not dwell on it so much, but honor it because it was, it did happen. It was there. There was once a very rich cultural Jewish life yes. in that area. And because of uh, basically lunacy, because of indoctrination, because of whatever, because and, and everybody's entitled to be crazy, but where were the people to stop it? Where was the the higher conscious level thinking, that's what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to stop it in its tracks and to say, no, we will not allow this. This is not. This is where we draw the line. We won't honor that. We won't go out and kill and, and, and maim in such horrendous ways. And we're still there. We, I don't think we've progressed too much. I don't think so still at a, all. It's still a battle that we have to be aware of. And again, it starts from, uh, as I, my father would probably say, my mother, Derheim, the home. You start by looking at your actions, your personal actions. Where are you being cruel? Where are you being less than positive and, and um, inspiring to the people that you love the most around you? Where are you being careless? I don't mean you, Andrew. Yes, I know, <laughs> I mean I know that, the, but I'm asking myself you. that anyway. <laughs> yes, and the you, but that's, I think that's really what I was I, I didn't want to hold back in this book. I really wanted to say, you know, what what um, what I think meant to be said, and um, and and I'm glad to say that I did. I didn't hold back. I, I you know, I mentioned things about my dad, about how he was physically abusive to me, and this is not something, you know, within the Holocaust community or sometimes within. Jewish communities who want to talk about what's not good, or, or even in the Catholic communities, wherever. Uh, we don't want to, you know, point out the, the bleak stuff and the bad stuff, but we need to. We need to acknowledge it, to say this is, comes from somewhere. It doesn't, it's not just somebody created that this is a lifelong, worldlong history that we have to gain consciousness over and stop. Our generation stops with our generation. That's my declaration. Mm. It's powerful. So, so that's why I've called it a, a father-daughter memoir of love, because I realized how much love there was that he was talking about. You know, love of of uh, a man for his city, for his home place, for his birthplace. You know, we always talk about home and with uh, your hometown as if it was a person, a lover. You talk about, and so all manifestations of love, love that my father had for his bunkmate who saved his life. 
you know, that not many men would be so open enough to share. Uh, and then, of course, it's about war. The wars, uh, clearly the war, the Holocaust, the, the battles, but also the wars in, in the families where people didn't speak to each other. The wars where in, in, in be, you know, between parents and children and um, cousins and, and, and family intrigues. It's amazing what, what's out there. Oh, I, you know, that's something I can speak very personally to. I, I come from a family where my grandfather and his four brothers uh, didn't speak to each other for well, the last decades of their lives. They had yes, a I huge mean, blowout what's fight. that about? You know, that's it's ridiculous. My father and yeah. his brother, the same thing. Yes. Yes, and there's no, there's no non-ego-based reason for that. It's all based in one's ego and wrapped up in pride, and you know, one doesn't need. This is not what we're here to explore on this planet. I truly believe that. I believe that we're here to to understand the, the different elements of love, and to understand the different elements of war that we have that within us. Uh, it's almost, you know, the uh, what do they say? Yiddish. Uh, I can't remember now in Hebrew. The instinct to be good and the instinct to be bad. The oh, I'm forgetting. I it. can't help the you with morphine, this. The Yiddish. Uh, uh, um, uh, ra v'tov. Uh, ra being bad, but I can't remember what the word for instinct is now. Forgive me, all of those who know things and <laughs> would love to shout it out. Uh, absolutely. And by the way, if anybody is listening who would like to call in and uh, talk to Nava, the phone number here is uh, 646-929-2893, and we'd love to take your calls. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then there's also the wonderful story of how he met my mother. Uh, Ah, and that's, you see, when I started taking down his stories, that's when I learned much more about my mother. I didn't realize what a famous and beloved star she was at the time. She was only 16. Mm. But circumstances led to the fact that she was to become the young starlet, the singer, the actress. Her brother was a prolific writer, songwriter, poem, poet. And um, so she had all this wonderful material that she she performed and inspired people and motivated people, and she was very well known in that area. And I had not a clue, didn't have a clue. Does any of that material survive? Yes, I have songs in Yiddish of um, my mother's, uh, I'm sorry, of my uncle's that my mother wrote down after the war, and I inherited in a book that suddenly arrived, you know, like all these missing pieces of a puzzle. Once wow. I started writing the stories, all of these came because I think it was to fill, to fill the puzzle, right? Another, another little something, and so uh, I, and then came the desire to um, to, to to pay honor to my mother's story, mm-hmm. and then that's what I realized. My mother appeared to me almost like I think in the middle of the night, but she was. Now, a long time gone, she died in 1979, and I began writing, chronicling these stories in 1991. So like a 20, something like that, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, so, 
So she said to me, why are you writing about your father? I was the star. You should write about me. Make it a musical. Make it with music. People like to feel. People feel through songs. Sure. So then I became obsessed by, you know, all these visions of her brother, who I did not know other than a tiny photograph and the little few statements that she left me, like he died one day before he was killed, one day before the liberation. Mm. And so I extrapolated from all these little one-liners, and then the story that my dad told me, the story about her and her brother and what life was like in the ghetto and all kinds of things. And then I, I wrote my one-woman show, which I took all over the world, which is an absolute phenomenal delight. And uh, people who, who've seen the show attest to the fact that it's, it's very special and... and um, and needs to be seen all over the world. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, uh, I have, I have a, I, unfortunately, I have a DVD of it. Oh, good. That was my next so question. If people want to go and buy it, they have to go to nava.com, N-A-A-V-A.com, and uh, either contact me through my email information, or uh, that's, that's it where we're there now, because then I, after performing the play, I realized I had to get back to the book, and luckily I did, because... You know, it would have been impossible to write uh, at this point in time. So sure. I didn't finish it. But I finished it literally, you know, uh, about a month ago. So, um, and I, again, I don't know how long I have to live. It doesn't feel like it's that much longer because I'm in a lot of pain. And um, but the main thing is uh, it was my mission to get the heritage of my parents down for posterity, and um, and I hope I've, I've people have told me that I've done a good job in that respect. So uh, I'll get over to the other side, and then I'll really know. <laughs> well, maybe you can, when you get there, you can you maybe you'll see uh, some of my family. Oh, I I'm sure there'll be a whole reunion, a Vilnius reunion. <laughs> oh my, that, that would and be I something. And I did. This is the, what's so interesting. I'm so blessed because in my lifetime, I got to perform in Vilna. Oh. I've performed the play in Yiddish of my mother in Vilna for the 60th anniversary of the um, liquidation of the camp. You know, from so many Jews living in Vilna, there must have been about 70,000 Jews. There were maybe five or two thousand left, three thousand left, and um, I hold on a second. Okay. I have a sip of water. <laughs> that's, that's I got fine. to perform on the same stage that my mother performed on. Oh my! Forty, forty years back, or was it? I'm trying to think when it was. Forty, seventy. I can't remember now. Now this is where I go into my morphine days. <laughs> Would you do you remember, do you recall the moment when you first stepped on that stage how it felt? It was very fascinating because it didn't I was so disconnected with everything because it's not a world that I grew up in. You know, I'd never mm -hmm. seen this place before Vilna. It had no ties to anything that was relevant in my life, my physical Nava growing up in South Africa uh, life. Uh, it was a Eastern European country, a communist country actually right. so what I was astounded by was just the people over there being so open to the, all the uh, commemorations going on and how warm and receptive they were 
which was really fantastic because it it was quite a disruption to what's happening now. It's a you know there's not much of a Jewish life right now. Hmm. No, I'm I'm so looking forward forward to reading your book. I ordered it yesterday. Are you there? Ah, I have lost Nava. So Nava, I hope you're going to call right back in. Uh, we still have uh, 27 minutes remaining in the show, and uh, I'm going to wait for Nava to call back in. Uh, meanwhile, I'll talk again. I'm going to uh, tell you the name of the book is No Goodbyes, A Father-Daughter Memoir of Love, War, and Resur- Resurrection by Nava Piatka. That's P-I-A-T-K-A. Uh, there's a link right on the show page to the book. So if you come onto the page and click on the book picture, book cover, it will take you right to the Amazon link if you'd like to pick up that book. And Nava's show that she performed, the woman show about her mother, is available on DVD from Nava's site, which is navacom if you'd like to get a copy of that. So we're going to wait a couple of more minutes and see if uh, Nava will get back on the air with us. Unfortunately, we did lose the connection. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, about the book. Uh, let's see, what can I tell you? It is. Um, recounts the fascinating true stories of Nava's charismatic father, Xavier Piat, in a stirring testament to the endurance of love, the art of survival, the Influence of Family and the Lasting Impact of War. Linking past and present, this epic story takes the reader through the narrative details of Mr. Piat's vivid recollections, including his youth in his hometown of Vilna, Lithuania, his coming-of-age visit to his divorced mother in Paris, his return to war-torn, Nazi-invaded Poland, his, his forced first marriage, the hiding of future Israeli President Menachem Begin in their family basement, his controversial role in the Vilna Ghetto administration, his wartime hard labor camp trials and triumphs, his surprising rescue by a Nazi, his emotional encounters with his father in the Studoff concentration camp, his agonizing snowbound death march, his eventual liberation and encounters with Jaela Rosenthal, and the series of fortuitous chance meetings that led to these young refugees' lovers' escape from communist Eastern Europe and eventually immigration to Cape Town, South Africa, where their first child, Nava, was born. Let's see if Nava, are you back? Yes. Oh, great. Hold on, please. Nava, are you there? Yes, I just I just realized I was talking into space. Yes, you were. I just uh, read uh, a lot of the book jacket over the years. Thank yeah. you. Thank You're welcome. Thank you so much. And, and my sister, who is just an angel and being here next to me, traveled all the way from South Africa to be with me in my last... Um, uh, weeks or moments, we don't know. Um, she's uh, said, "Hey, you haven't spoken about resurrections. I guess coming back from the silence. Ah, how, how fitting is that? Very fitting. That I went into silence and I, okay, we got to come come back again, bring the stories back. And that's really the point of the resurrection is that you know everybody can reinvent themselves as my father did. You can adapt yourselves to new circumstances." And um, here I am resurrecting <laughs> our conversation again. And uh, that's really what I want to say is about 
making sure that we maintain and keep the stories going and keep things alive and reinventing mm. and 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 not always staying stuck in the past but reevaluating seeing what we can learn from the past and how we can uh create a new and um so I wanted to <laughs> talk a little bit about that and well, thank you thank you I know this has been a long it seems to me like a long ramble <laughs> oh, no, it's perfectly fine. You're making a lot more sense than you believe you do. Right well, it, that's another thing that I was in. People are stunned that I'm on this high dosage of morphine, and yet I'm still so lucid. So I guess I guess the message is the stories, I'm just the vessel. The stories are pouring out through me, and I just have to open my mouth, and the, the spirits will be talking there. They're always with us. The dead are always with us. That's also another part of the the message, you know, that we can, you know, just be understanding that um, that the past will always be around us. We don't have to let it dominate us, but it is our roots, and um, we have to make peace with it in whatever way we can. Absolutely. So, what kind of thing is that you're sort of right now in the in the position of being able to leave a message for the future? So to speak, sort of like uh, okay. Professor Pausch, uh, if you're familiar with Randy Pausch's uh, last yes. lecture. Yes, oh my goodness. Well, I think the message uh, is, and this is what I'm inscribing in the books when people want uh, uh, to buy a book and say, please write something in it. I was thinking what to write. Remember the stories. Tell your stories. It's a big part of it. But mostly it's really to celebrate life. This is an amazing life we have here on planet Earth. And so we should treasure and hold it as precious. The people in our lives, the um, the air in our lives, the uh, quality of our lives, what we say and what we put out in verbal communication in our lives. Mm-hmm. Celebrate it all. And mostly spread the joy and the love. And again, I'm going to come back to my father's philosophy which was forgive, but don't forget. Always find a way to find forgiveness in your heart so you can have understanding and healing and have a a way to access the beauty that is truly at our core of every single person, which is the love that we have for each other and the caring and everything else is just an illusion. Everything else is just a way to separate ourselves from feeling the enormity of, of life on Earth. Okay, so, so especially considering the subject matter of the Holocaust, and you're talking about forgiveness, where there is, yes. in, in, in the realm where there is so much hatred, so much bad feeling... Talk about that. What kind of how, how does one forgive? And I understand you forgive and don't forget, but how do you forgive in, in, in that? You know, it's a it's a choice. It, forgiveness is really a choice. It's an action you take, mm-hmm. a, a mindful action. Um, and I think it comes from the desire to move on, to become a better person. Because if we hold on to bitterness and anger, then one is spreading more negativity. It's, it mm-hmm. comes down to energy. 
you know, life is all about energy. Uh, sustainable, renewable, <laughs> everything is all energy. Now, what kind of energy are we putting out into the universe? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be loving? You know, why is it that at the end of a beautiful song or a wonderful sunset or something, we feel spiritually uplifted? That's because we're allowing ourselves to feel the love mm. that the universe and ourselves has to offer. That's my, that's my belief system. Now, if one is closed off from that, if one is obsessing about um, what that, that person gave me the finger driving down the highway or uh, you know, my sister said something to hurt me or uh, my brother never calls, he's, he's awful, he always says bad things about me. And, you know, whatever it is, that if you choose to focus on the worst, then that's where the energy is going. And you're missing out on all the wonderful things that you could be present to. And there's so many beautiful things that are happening in the world. And, and even within a person, if you can look for the good, always look for the good in that person and in yourself. And the good is, can you forgive? Can you be bigger than the circumstances? Can you be bigger than... Um, than holding on to the, the pettiness of, of feeling like you were wronged or something did some you, you know somebody did somebody wrong you know that the country folk songs yeah I was about to say somebody you know, did somebody like, wrong you know, it's like it's all whining about somebody huh? did somebody wrong love you know and uh, <laughs> wait you know what happens by the way when you play a country record backwards no you get your dog back you get your job back you get your <laughs> wife back you get your house back. I love that. That's very cool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So there you go. Uh, and and if you don't want them back, then that's fine. Release them, but don't go blaming. You know <laughs> that they were there and they did this. No, let them go in love. Say thank you very much. We had a great time together. And uh, you know, it's for everything. There's a season and a time and a and a purpose. And then they too move. You know, I, I look at nature. You've just got to look at nature. The trees, we're so excited when mm -hmm. spring comes. Yay, the flowers are blooming. And then they're in full bloom. And then you've got to mow the lawn. And you've got to <laughs> do all the work of maintaining this beautiful, lush nature. And then yeah. uh, you've got fall. And the leaves are falling down. And it's a mess. But it's beautiful, too. Look at the colors. But it's a cycle. Nothing stays the same. Things come and then they go. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm learning. This lesson for me, this particular journey for me, this cancer journey, is about letting go. And not only the cancer, but you know everything else. The, the way the disease has progressed so quickly is for me about letting go and and not needing to be in control all the time or knowing how things are going to work out. Um, and you'll see in the book, it ends with, I don't want to give it away, but it really is about being at peace with what isn't there, with what, what isn't going the way that you'd want it to. Mm. And just being okay with it and trusting that whatever spiritual entity is your God or your power base or whatever it is that you turn to in your darkest need, whatever you call it, um, you know, I call it God. Uh, other people call it other names, but Elohim, 
God. <laughs> yes. All all of all of those big big name big name uh, entities, all the same beautiful life force that gives reason for the planet, that gives reasons for people coming into birth uh, and and having their first breath and going out and having their last breath. And that's it. We are not in control. What we are in control of is that we can, our attitude about how we live this life. Can we be happy about things when things aren't going well? Can one still love somebody even though they've hurt us? And I say yes. I say yes. Always, always go to how much bigger can I expand my heart? So, that, so yeah, we we just mentioned the Holocaust. There's so many things where I, that's like popping into my mind of how would you forgive this? Like for example, I mean, you might have heard about the the uh, the young woman who was kidnapped at the age of 11 who was just found, mm-hmm. and the, the, who man who raped her and and fathered her children, and they just now found her still alive and. There's somebody who who's going to have a lot of need yes. ahead of her yes. for for all kinds for what, of healing. Right for whatever reason that terrible thing, mm-hmm. you know. I hate to be mundane, but it's like shit happens. You know that horny yeah. phrase on the back of a bumper sticker. It's or on the on the bumper sticker is is um, that that is that's life. Stuff happens. Not necessarily the best script, but that's that happens, and then you you learn to make sense of it, or you learn to make peace with it, because you cannot take it away. That actually happened, right? Sure. Stuff happens beyond our control, and then we have to find a way to live with it and be okay with it, not to make it right. It's never going to be right. But it is going to be what constitutes your life and how it informs how you interact with other people. That's where the choice comes in. Mm-hmm. Are you always going to be bitter? I've met many, many Holocaust survivors. And I've spoken to a lot of their children because I would run some, um, I would find, found uh, different second generation groups, is what we call ourselves, 2G groups. And it's so interesting to hear the different focuses of parents. Some who would, you know, really lay it on heavy with their children, and some of them who wouldn't tell them at all. Some of them who chose to be Christian. Some of them, everybody took a different path. And um, and it's just it's just choices, choices that people make. You know, you just reminded me of. I knew somebody whose uh, whose uh, grandparents, I guess, were were um, Holocaust survivors, and this my friend's father was so his anger about this was such that he he wouldn't even eat German chocolate cake, even from a Jewish bakery. Right. Just the German in it was. That, that's right. See, that's exactly the type of mentality. That what good does it do him? You see, he was holding on to a, an ideology. An ideology is a, is a figment of the imagination. It's not real. Mm-hmm. You know, for the same reason, we shouldn't be eating or, or, or 
all kinds of things from uh, Japanese who were who were terrible to, uh, if if I recall, the Chinese um, women and turning them and, and turning them into prostitutes and all, all kinds of. I mean, horrendous things are happening still today. And I'm not diminishing the Holocaust. I don't mean to diminish the Nazi horrors. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying that it's all a question of focus and and um, choices. If it made him feel vindicated not to, you know, if his so-called revenge or vengeance was that he's not going to do anything, eat German, whatever it is, then that is a choice he made. Right. But again, how did it impact his children or those people around him? How, what, what statement did it make for the world? Because there were some Germans who helped uh, uh, Jews during the Nazi, during the uh, war. There were people who did help as well. And that's another thing we have to, you know, like how do we condemn a country? You see, we're very stuck here because of the crimes of a certain regime or people who came through in, in a minute space of time and became the dictator or the governor. And then we completely hold on to that memory. Mm. What a pity that we can't see things from other perspectives. So what you really hope to do with this book is to help foster forgiveness. Yes, and just just to say we're all human. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in South Africa in the time of apartheid. And, uh, you know, it's interesting I say apartheid knowing fully well because I've spoken to many people that even now it's what, 20, 30 years that I've been living here, you know, there are many people who don't even know what apartheid is at this stage of the game. It's amazing. Yes. So that my point is, what we hold on to so tightly and get so worked up about, it's just a blip in in the blink of the universe. And yet we, we hold on to it so tightly and at great cost to the love and affection that we we need to be putting out into the world. So I'll, back to South Africa, I don't know how I remain so lucid. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You're doing great, Nava. <laughs> I just I have so much morphine in me. But at least, uh, so one of the things that I wanted to say is, is how m- one of my messages is to honor art because art is such a way of accessing the way to transcendence you know, creating works of art, seeing works of art, it raises uh, man's um, humanity to, to to touch the spirituality. And that's where you'll find the, the greatness, where we all become bigger than just our, you know, um, earthly existence. Well, you're just making me uh, think back to earlier in our conversation about your mother and, and the songs that you said you, they still exist, and I keep thinking that that, that like Mandy Patinkin needs to get these songs, and and Tova yeah. Felcher needs to get these yeah. songs. In fact, the two of them need to get these songs. To do a show <laughs> well, I would love them to read the book. <laughs> so, well, actually, then I'm going to make it a mission that those no, two people get this Tova, book. 
Tova, I, I actually performed my play on the same stage as Tova did in the O'Neill Cabaret. Uh, no, not the O'Neill. The, uh, oh, that'll kill me for this. The Yale, blame it on the morphine. Okay. The Yale, Yale Cabaret Conference. Mm-hmm. They, um, so Tova knows a little bit about uh, my mother and, and she knows about that from the play. But growing up in South Africa, I was part and parcel of the white, if you can look at it, white supremacy. Wow. You know, I was a white person. I, I, I didn't vote, but I, if you would look at me, you would consider me, I'm the white supremacist uh, person who willingly went along with the terrible laws. And not always the case. So that's why I I, I took a vow never to um, judge if I haven't walked in somebody else's shoes. I mean, it's mm. a, such a corny expression, but it's so true. You know, you technically, to... today you're an African-American. That's right. Well, the funniest thing was, I named my daughter Chantal after my mother. Chantal, the C-H-A for Chayla, and Intel for Rosenthal, because I just I wanted her name to be you know, memorialized in the Jewish tradition you name a child after a deceased parent. Correct. So Chantal was very smart, very practical. At her history lesson, this was in grade one, I think, when when the teacher asked, "Who do you, who of you know?" Um, <clears throat> excuse me, African Americans. Do you know what an African American is? So my daughter Chantal, she's a beautiful, fitting name, stood up and raised her hand and said, "Yes, I am an African American. My parents are African American." So they were like, "No, that doesn't make sense. You're white. <laughs> you can't be African American." But she, in her mind, she was very. She knew that she was African-American. That's, was, that's right. And technically, yes, right? I am from Africa. Now I'm an American. <laughs> there you go. But she was smarter than the rest, but they all uh, um, mocked her, unfortunately, because they didn't understand literally the truth of it. Oh, that's priceless. Mm. So as we're getting to the close of our show, we have a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I really appreciate that you were able to uh, be on the phone with me for uh, the better part of an hour. Well, I'm am, I, I, I'm just amazed. I'm just going to tell you, I'm amazed. And I thank you for this because, you know, we will have a recording now that I'll put on my website for the book, which is www.nogoodbyes.info. Nogoodbyes.info. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and people will be able to hear like more of the story in my voice, even though this isn't Nava's voice. <laughs> but this is the Nava that's trying to make it through the night voice. Uh, well, you, you, you're doing great, Nava. You really, Thank I, you. I'm really, really, really thrilled. Thank and you. Um, you know, by the way, the uh, the book uh, cover and link is on the show page. If anybody goes oh, to the yeah. BlogTalkRadio.com page for this show. There's a picture of the cover there. If you click on that, it will take you directly to Amazon where you can buy the book. Oh. Do you know that it's it's actually, I think, I haven't got my 
my uh, well, I don't have marketing people, but I have a friend. I actually participated in another book at the Vision Board. It's a wonderful book by Joyce Schwartz, mm. uh, in which I shared my collage and my imaging of uh, a better life for myself. This is three years ago, and she called me up and she said, "Listen, you're doing so amazing on Amazon. Do you even know how well you're doing?" And I said, "I don't even know what you're talking about." She says, "You've." You've jumped up in ranking. You're not even a, a a known author, and you're this is like your first week, and you're already like seventy six thousand or something like that. You're ranked number thirteen in this category of biographies or something. So I quickly asked her, "What do you do? What what do I need to do?" She says, "I want to get you up to top hundred, Amazon's top hundred. I said, "You've got to be kidding! I'm I'm in my bed here. What can I do?" She said, "We're going to do an email blast." And so I literally, again, through the pain, through the, this is at 10.30 at night, she called me. I came up with a September 1st date of saying, September 1st, we're going to do a campaign drive. We're going to drive up the sales. I want to get to the top 100, or at least top one in my category. And that day, I sent out a message because September 1st was the anniversary of my mother's death. September 1st is also the the beginning of the World War Two, which is when it started. And September 1st was two days ago, right? And it was accessible. And guess what? I reached number one in all of my categories. Wow. I reached number seven, I think, in, was it what? New releases? Oh, no, Movers and Shakers. Movers and Shakers. Mm. Number seven is the, the most movement in a day. I was number seven. And I was like number 13 in, what is it, overall? A 80 in the hot new releases. Like that was overnight, overnight. I, it was just astounding. And that to me is also, you know, here's a testament to if you put your mind to something and you just, no matter what, no matter what, miracles can happen. So, That's yeah, right. you talk about Amazon. I'm just so thrilled that there is a place like Amazon and, Blessed that I have friends who send out emails about the book and you know and write fabulous reviews and <laughs> it's just at this point you know normally in my old life I would have been all about oh, I've got to set the marketing tours I've got to be this I've got to do that now it's just you know what I just put the word out I open up my heart and I say I've written the book it will happen you know like I've I've built the field yes. they will come well the book the book will reach the people that it needs to reach and uh, lighten their loads and enlighten their minds. And I have no doubt that it will do what the intention from both below and above is meant to do, and I'm, I'm just thrilled. And I ask your readers to take, take a look at my website so you can get a little glimpse at my uh, excerpts that I have on there, goodbyes.info. Absolutely. No goodbyes. Dot info. Yeah, no goodbyes. No goodbyes. And that's it. There's no goodbyes. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Maybe just a little better each time. <laughs> yes. And uh, 
despite our no goodbyes theme, I'm I'm I, I'm going to uh, say yep, at least good night to you, and I'm going to say <laughs> thank you, Nava, so much. It was such a pleasure. My thoughts and prayers are with you personally. Oh, thank you, dear. Thank you. And, thank and, you so much. Uh, however, you know this is going to be for you, but I I I look forward to my book should be here by tomorrow. I ordered it oh, the other yay. day, just like everybody else did. Yay! And I got the confirmation. <laughs> Again, everybody, please get the book. Thanks again, and we have about yeah. 10 seconds left, so let's say it's not goodbye, but life. good night, good Nava, night. and thank you so much. And God bless. May you always see the blessings in your life. Thank you. All right. Bye. Good night.